This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Back from practice number four of fall camp down in Platteville. Badgers were on the field for about two hours, two hours plus, a little bit. Uh, there was a little bit of feistiness to Saturday morning's practice with Kamoe Latu uh, laying some laying out some guys. And we'll get into that. Uh, a couple of big-time catches as well from Chimray DK again. So it was a worthwhile day to be in Platteville, and uh, we will break it all down. Again, if you haven't had a chance, please subscribe to the YouTube. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We certainly do appreciate it. We're over a 1,000, so again, I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, I'm not going to push it hard, but please do because uh, we'll continue to be putting video up there. Uh, you can check out some footage from practice number four up there right now if that's something that you want to do. All right. There were those two things that I talked about with Kamoi Latu and Chimray Deke and some other things with the quarterbacks, but I want to start with some probably pretty pretty important news, and that is that Jake Renfro was uh, fully let go today, 100%, uh, was allowed to uh, take part in everything, said he did not miss a rep. He's working with the second team. He's coming back from a uh, injury in spring, a stress fracture in his leg that uh, caused him to miss much of spring. He missed pretty much all of last year down at Cincinnati. So he's working back a little bit of rust, but working with the second team today, Jesse. And Jack McNell Jr., the offensive line coach, said that he's steadily seen progression from Jake. He talked about how in the first practice, which happened earlier this week, maybe was a little bit slower to react to things, and it's coming along steadily, slowly but surely, I suppose. And this is obviously great news for Wisconsin because we know of Renfro's credentials, the fact that he was a first-team all-conference player at Cincinnati, and when he started spring practice, he was the number one center until he suffered that stress fracture and I believe it was practice number four. We just didn't see him again the rest of the way. It's forced the entire offensive line to shuffle. I, I do think that if Jake is fully healthy, he is Wisconsin's number one center. If you're looking for a silver lining, it's that it's given Tanner Bordellini uh, and Joe Huber as well far more opportunities to take some snaps at center than they would otherwise have, certainly with Bordellini. Um, and I think Renfro, obviously, a, a really key piece here. He's going to, he's, how many guys are going to be touching the ball on every single offensive snap? Well, you know, it's going to be the offensive or it's going to be the center and the quarterback. So, uh, really good news and encouraging sign for the Badgers. I do wonder where exactly he ends up, though, because it didn't, when you talk to Jack McDowell, he, he was like, he's made some progress. He's gotten, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of the, uh, the juice back in his legs and, and we'll see where it goes. Do you think he's the first team center at, at the end of camp, or do you think maybe they uh, work it back even slower than that? If he's a hundred percent healthy and the player that they believed he was going to be when he transferred here, then I still believe that he'll be the center. I don't know. The thing is, I don't know how long it's going to take for everyone to feel confident in that. And if it runs too deep into the fall camp, then you're looking at, you have to prepare for week one. But at some point I would certainly expect him to be, the top center. And it's an interesting position to be in for Wisconsin because I think Bordellini, and he talked about this at the team's local media day, spent considerable time working on snaps because that was an issue during spring practice. He said that they would get together and snap. I think he said something like 35 or 40 snaps, work on footwork to your left, and then just footwork to your right. He's been very good this this fall, Bordellini has, and I know they like Joe Huber, and he's been able to fill in at guard. So it's a good problem to have. And the way Bicknell talked about it, there's probably six offensive linemen that would play consistently. 
maybe seven. He said the most he's ever played in a season anywhere is seven and stretching beyond that is probably not realistic. So they're still trying to work it out, but I I would imagine Renfro when fully healthy would be the top guy. What does the rest of the offensive line look like then? Because as you mentioned, he does like Joe Huber and we know Michael Furtney has been working at right guard steadily. Where does Tanner Bordellini end up? I feel like Bordellini would be in the starting five, and maybe that makes Huber the rotational guard. And but I, I don't know. Huber is so versatile. Everyone has had nothing but praise for him. I just think Bordellini is so versatile and has proven himself that he's going to be in there. It's just a matter of when Renfro is able to come back in my mind. He has been, and you mentioned the snap, and I've seen one errant snap, I think. I think I think that was on Friday that there was an errant snap. I think it was I think it was Huber, but I'm not positive on that. So yes. you know, there has not been those issues that we saw in the spring, which I guess shouldn't be a huge surprise. I also think it's also worth noting that they have not really turned up the tempo to an a to an extreme level that we kind of saw in spring at times where they were getting the ball off, you know, before it hit 30 seconds uh, on the, on the snap. So maybe that changes when that happens, but uh, so far so good for when it comes to the snapping, which again was a bit of an issue in the spring. And it's obviously very important that the ball gets into the quarterback's hands. Um, There was another move before we get into what happened today. There was another move that happened on Friday that, you pointed out in your practice report, and that was uh, Nizier uh, Forkerine getting into the starting. Uh, excuse me, into the second group along with Jonas DeClona, kind of replacing Jace Arnold with the second group in the second team defense. There, Nizier really flashed, I think, for the first time, or at least coming up with the big play that made you remember he was out there on Friday when he he came up with uh, an interception, one of the the three that Braden Locke threw. Um, not not a great day for Braden on Friday, but Nizir, we know about the credentials at Division II Grand Valley State. Hadn't gotten a ton of reps because the twos, at least at the start, were it, it was the same way it ended in spring where you had Jonas Duclona and Jace Arnold. But Forkerine now, it, on Friday and on Saturday, started to take the reps of, of Jace Arnold, and I think he's getting better and better. And Duclona, I mean, I know you asked me about Nizir, but I'm just so impressed with Jonas Duclona came up with a, an interception on Saturday during some skeleton drills and has consistently held his own. So Luke Fickle was asked about both Nizir and Michael Mack, the second, the transfer from air force and said, both of those guys are going to play. Now I know there's some, uh, things to wait out with the, the waiver situation and the, from Academy rules with Mac transferring from air force, but been really impressed the last couple of days with four Kareen and certainly think he'll be a part of that rotation at cornerback on the outside. Let's get into Saturday's practice. And there were a number of things that stood out and we'll talk about Chimray, but I think we need to start with what Kamoe Latu did to Ches Malusi today on a team dr- in a team drill. Look, there's they're in helmets and shoulder pads they are not full pads. Um, there are, they were in shoulder pads the other day. Kamoi Latu is a heat-seeking missile. He has routinely, even when they haven't had shoulder pads on, gotten into guys and then pulled up like with his arms, like pulling away like this, like he didn't, he didn't hit them. The man loves to hit people, and he destroyed Ches Malusi today to the point where Ches Malusi stayed down on the ground and Kamoi's helmet popped off, and it was, again, you don't necessarily know exactly what the... Uh, rules are and and how people are actually supposed to go about this but he destroyed him and i don't think you normally want to destroy your teammates and 
there there was no like usually if that were to happen in the past it may have set off a fight it did not set off a fight this time it was more concern over you know what happened to Ches Malusi because he stayed down um and then so Ches Malusi goes down he walks off he gets checked out eventually comes back and the first carry that he had up the middle towards Kamoi Latsu he went down uh and he got he went he went down um not to avoid a hit or anything like that but he got up and he had something to say to Kamoi Latu. We don't know what was said, but they got face to face and they were talking back and forth. And actually, like Kamoi Latu was walking over the sideline, turned around, came back, and they got into each other's faces. And eventually, Devin Spaulding, the running backs coach, along with some strength staff, had to come out and separate them. Um, I don't think Chess Blusi was happy about it. Certainly wasn't still happy about it after practice. I saw him walking over after practice while, while interviews were going on. And um, Travion Blaylock walked up to him, tried to give him five, and and Chess Malusi was not having it. Like he just walked right by him. Um, still had a very big scowl on his face afterwards. That's a situation that um you don't necessarily want to happen, and yet with Kamoi Latu, it kind of happens a couple times a practice. Yeah, this is this is one of those week one fall camp storylines, but was notable on a day like today. And the thing is. It is hard to know what the rules are, but the general consensus is, and we've seen a lot of practices, uh, you don't do that to a guy, let alone a guy who's going to be a, a starter or a significant piece. And that's not to say that we know football is an extremely physical game. And when you're actually in there between the lines, uh, anything goes within the framework of the rules. But it struck me as unusual. And there were obviously audible like oh's up there in the press box where we were all watching because you don't expect it in fall camp. and basically every other situational drill that Wisconsin had, or even in those same plays with other players, you would have other defenders who would kind of thud them up or wrap them up a little bit. But Latu is playing like it is week eight against Ohio state. Um, and then there was another situation where he kind of laid out, uh, man, it might've been Will Pauling, another completion over the middle, but L- Malusi, I think had every right to not be thrilled with that. And uh, I mean, I really wondered about, <laughs> frankly, Malusi's health in the immediate aftermath of it just because it was so unexpected. And I don't think that he expected it either so, from a teammate. So Latu's the type of guy you would uh, certainly want on your side in a uh, in a street fight and out there on the football field because he is out there to seek and destroy. And that's just kind of what happened to uh, a teammate out there on Saturday. And it's not that it was like a targeting issue that's not no. what it, that's not what it was it was just a really really hard hit that i don't think anybody was expecting in that moment and i know that michael fertney was asked about why didn't you know why did the offensive line do something and it's like well if we react we get tossed too and but i'm like this is it's a teammate it's an offensive teammate like you have to i was a little surprised that they didn't have Ches's back and maybe there was a little bit more to it i know that there's a rule i know that the the one the one big rule for fickle is don't fight type of stuff. So there, there's that. But I mean, at some point, this dude's just been laying your guys out for four straight days here. And um, I don't know. Either way, it happened and it is what it is. Bryson, excuse me, um, uh, another guy, uh, who was it? It was Austin Brown came up and, and took one of the running backs to the ground pretty good, helped him right back up. Kamoi Latu was not doing that at all. Like there, there's a there there's a a fine line, and um, it feels like or it felt like that Kamoi Latu was kind of straddling it today. 
Yeah, I think that's a reasonable assessment. I'd also say we're only four practices in and there's a certain point where you get in fall camp and guys are just tired of going against each other and do get after it. And you're right, Luke Fickle, I mean, he mentioned this after practice on Friday that one of the things they were talking about in the hours after practices were kind of stressing emotional intelligence and just controlling your emotions and things like that. That goes back to even spring practices, something that he's continued to preach. So you do wonder how much that plays a role in it. But the more something like that happens, the more I imagine frustrations will simmer and boil over. Well, because we saw a couple fights in in spring, and it was oh, we certainly did. He wasn't he was not pleased with them. So, like, I think there's a there's a line, but irrelevant. Chez is fine, Latu's fine, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot more collisions uh, with Kamoi Latu and not just Wisconsin players, but obviously the opposition throughout the year. Um, let's turn it into the to the big plays because there were a ton of them from both sides. To be honest with you. Um, the one that really stands out and may have replaced Bryson Green as catch of the camp was a just ridiculous grab by Chimray DK on the sideline. A little, if you need a visual for it, and I'm sure that they caught it, UW caught it, and they'll probably put it up at some point. But it was a little OBJ on the sideline in his best OBJ impersonation, just one-handed, go up and grab it, pull it down right on the sideline. It was a third down play. It was this third down situation that they were in. It was a remarkable catch, remarkable catch over the DB that um, – you know, Tanner Mordecai put it in, a, I guess, the, a good place for Tim Ray to go and get it, but it was a hell of a catch. Yeah, it was maybe a 20-yard gain or so. He was running up the left sideline, had a DB draped all over him, and that was the only spot where you could have possibly caught it. But to have the the wherewithal, the athleticism, and the instincts to be able to haul it in one-handed, um, and maybe if there was a replay, it may or may not have been in bounds. We'll never know, but certainly he reacted like he was that dude and came up with a great play. And for all the talk... We've had this offseason about the new receivers. You know, Chimray is one of those guys who's going to say, don't forget about me. Still a leader in the room. Still the team's returning number one wide receiver and going to have a big, big season. He is. And then there's also the the other play that stood out big time play was Vinny Anthony. Uh, a long touchdown from Braden Locke. Hit him in stride. I don't know if he could have been more wide open, but he hit him in stride and uh, ran in for what would have been a 50-plus yard touchdown in a team drill. Um, guys making plays. Guys making plays. That's that's what we've seen from from some of the off some of the offense. I'm going to get to the defense in a second because there were plenty of big plays from the defense again. But uh, Vinny Anthony making a play, um, and and Braden Locke had a tough Friday for sure. Um, had a few poor plays on on Saturday as well, but that one was that one stood out for me. Yeah, Wisconsin had the ball on its own 41-yard line, and uh, Braden put it. There was a. I think Vinny Anthony, we know about his speed. He got in front of or, or behind a, a defender, and there was somebody else way further back. But Locke put it in the right spot, and then Vinny kind of cut across the field to finish it off. And, yeah, I think it was a 59-yard touchdown pass. And we haven't seen – I'll be honest, we have not seen a ton of air-it-out home run shots so far. I think that's – intentional obviously these coaches spent a lot of time coming up with the practice plan I'm, i've actually been a little surprised at what we've seen so far and, and the things they're working on that a lot of the throws are quick throws get it out into the flat get the ball into the hands of your receivers but under 10 yards that's really been the majority of what they've worked on that's not to say that they're not going to air it out i just think back to spring and it felt like and maybe it was just my head was spinning so much from seeing something I was not used to seeing at Wisconsin. They were taking a lot more shots, but I think that they will continue to do that as they implement more things in this offense. 
lot of it's situational. I thought, you know, when this the situations we're talking about, they were those, that was that third down period that some of these big plays happened where they were, you know, forced to kind of throw the ball down the field a little bit. The Chimre Pele was like a third and seven or something like that. And, and uh, they went down, had to go down the field a little bit. So um, that also led to an opportunity for some defensive uh, plays. And we saw that from Hunter Wohler uh, picking off Tanner Mordecai over the middle on a, I believe it was the first third and 10 play that of that period picked it off and, I guess he turned returned it for a touchdown. Um, I I don't know. Um, there's been a lot of those in camp so far where it, it could be a pick six. It could not be a pick six. I don't know. Either way, it was a hell of a drive on the ball by uh, Hunter Wohler and just another safety making a play. And I think um, who else had one? Was it Nizier? So who else well, had, had the Jonas, interceptions today? Well, Jonas DeClona had one in the skeletons, which yeah. you can – you can debate the importance of that. I mean, again, it, it's skeleton drill. So, um, but he. Well, I mean, it was it really was, good play. It was a really good play, and it was uh, it was caught expertly on on camera by myself. So everybody that's lis- listening to this isn't seeing it. Those people that are on YouTube, they're seeing it. So, I think I'm not sure what was better, the catch or the the camera work. But you guys can debate that in the comments. Uh, yeah, I don't. Who else had one? I I, I don't. There I thought there was at least. Today. I thought there was at least one more. They're very, very well could have been. Um, either way, a uh, lot of lot of guys getting hands on on passes today in, in practice, and um, that's kind of been the case for the first four days. Uh, I know it's only four days, but can I get your take on what you've seen from the quarterbacks to this point? My initial response is slightly underwhelming, but it's also... I feel like maybe unfairly speculative because I don't know what the practice plan is and what specifically they're trying to work on. And we've talked a lot about the freedom that wide receivers have in some routes. And there have been some instances where maybe the quarterback thought a receiver was going to be somewhere else better to happen now. But if we're just talking about big explosive plays, we haven't seen a ton of them. And I've, there have been multiple instances where both Tanner and Braden, you can see them visibly expressing their frustrations with the throw that they made that they weren't pleased with. If there was someone in the flat and they threw it over their head or, or threw it behind somebody. And again, it's very early. They have both made some really good throws. I would say it feels to me like both of them are sort of searching for more consistency. Um, but you know, it's the interceptions that are, that are really the backbreakers. But again, I just, I think they're working through a lot of things. And, and like you talked about the, the practice on Saturday was largely situational. It's something that Luke Fickle said they were going to do. So you're not getting the full package here. I mean, for an example, for people listening, it, the third down situation was, you know, they have the down marker and they've got the first down yardage. And it, they may put the ball at the 36 and it's a third and eight. And then the next ball, next snap, it's at the 37. So it's a third and seven and a third and six and a third and five. And so they're just working on these specific details. And it's just, I keep wanting to remind people, it's not actually what it's going to look like in a game. Having said that, these are the opportunities they're being presented with and that we're seeing. And I think there needs to be more consistency from both those top two guys. Do you think either the, uh, any of the other guys, whether it's Miles Burkett, uh, Nick Evers, um, have a chance to push for that number two spot? You know, I would say I think that this is Braden Locke's job at number two. However, the last two days when when Locke has struggled at times, and, and especially on Friday after Locke threw his third interception, I think it was Owen Arnett picked it off. 
Um, Braden looked for a, a receiver on the right side of the field and, and didn't see Arnett. He was immediately replaced by Burkett, and Burkett was running the number two offense with those number two players around him, and he got some number two reps again on Saturday. But I still think that Braden Locke is is clearly the number two guy. I think what it comes down to is if you're going to start making mistakes that beat yourself and the team, it's going to be hard for you to get more reps. But again, it's still very early, and I think what we saw in spring was enough to show me that Braden uh, will end up being the number two guy, and I don't I don't see someone else pushing him. So we didn't get a chance to talk about it on Friday, but Bryson Green had another heck of a day and made what I thought at the time was was the catch of camp going up between two guys. Um, UW did catch it. For some reason, they didn't play the entire video. They they included it in their uh, practice. I don't know. Skip it. I don't even know. It was, a, it was like 40 seconds. It was really, really well done. Really, really well done. But they didn't give you like – you didn't even know if he caught the ball because like, they did it at the top and either way. Uh, he did catch the ball. It was a hell of a catch. And uh, we've seen a bunch of that from him. Have you been impressed, um, even more impressed than you thought you would be with what Bryson Green has brought to the table through four practices so far? Yes. I would say of, of all the wide receivers, Bryson has probably impressed me the most. I like what I've seen from Quincy Burroughs and the opportunities that he's had. And some of that may just be he's running with the the number two offense for long stretches. It's a little bit different when you get into the ones and you're going against some of those other guys, but his physicality and the play strength is just overwhelming. And there was even a catch that he made on Friday where he had a little open space and there was a DB back there. And I just wonder what would have happened if that play was live because you could see Bryson lowering his shoulder. I just, I wondered what would have happened. And I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I knew about the numbers last season, but he didn't play in that bowl game, right? The guaranteed rate bowl no, game. No. Um, so I never had a chance to see him in person. And I figured he'd be somewhere in that top six, but you don't know until you actually see it. And he does provide a dynamic that the, is different from the rest of the group. You know, he's been targeted a lot. I think there are some other wide receivers where maybe they haven't been targeted as much early on here, but he is one of those guys who impressed me. I actually thought Quincy Burroughs really stood out to me on Friday. I had a couple of big catches. Um, you know, he's in that spot where he's running with the third team offense, but Keontes Lewis, who I think they, they scaled back a little bit the last couple of days and looked like maybe he was, um, something minor a couple of days ago in practice allowed Quincy more opportunities with the twos. I feel like he kind of got lost in the shuffle with all these other transfers and big name guys that Wisconsin had. I don't know how much we're going to see him this year, but he has been a playmaker as well. And I think that's encouraging. Definitely. And I think it's also worth noting exactly how these guys are lining up on a regular basis, right? So they're not switching sides or it's it's the same thing every single time. On the left side, that's where Chimray DK has been. Behind him has been Keontes Lewis and Quincy Burroughs. In the slot, it's been Will Pollen and uh, Skylar Bell and then Vinny Anthony. And then on the right side, it's been CJ Williams and Bryson Green and then uh, Hakan Anderson, I believe, uh, has been with the third team. Chris Brooks Jr. still not all the way back as he comes back from that uh, broken leg that he suffered in the spring. We we know and how Tommy McIntosh. What's up? Tommy McIntosh, who presumably would be that number three guy, has been sidelined. I mean, he's in uniform, but not not fully ready. So, yeah, those are two guys who had really impressive moments in the spring we haven't seen in the fall. Right. So that's kind of why the depth chart is. But I think it's also for fans thinking about it, it's not like this guy's can move all, all the different places. CJ, it's been CJ Williams, Bryson Green. Like they've been on the right side exclusively. 
Same thing with Chimray. The thing about it is in fall camp, or I should say in the spring, Bryson was almost always lined up on the left side. So I think they can move guys, and maybe they they will. But so far to this point, four practices, and it was almost always this way in the spring too, guys are in the exact same spot every single play. It's it's not a whole lot of moving guys around and that type of thing. I think Chimray's a guy that can move around a bunch if you want if you need him to, but they're not. He's been almost exclusively on the left side. Um, in the spring, it was almost exclusively on the right side till later in camp when CJ moved into the first team and they moved him over to the left side. But just if you're thinking at home about the the depth chart and the wide receiver depth chart, it's important just to keep that in mind where where certain guys are and who's in front of them at this time. The one thing I didn't mention yesterday when I did the show by myself was the kicking competition, um, which was a big brain fart on my part. But Nathaniel Vakos and Nate Van Zell's got their opportunities to show their stuff, I guess you would say. And it was Nathaniel Vakos going four for five and Nate Van Zell's going three for four. Um, the the fifth kick was of uh, Nathaniel Vakos is, is a little bit under contention, whether it was good or not. Um, either way, it was close from 46. I, that's that's Vakos's job, right? Yeah, I just don't see how it's not. Um, did everything right in the spring. It's it's sort of strange. Uh, I mean, it's not for a Luke Fickle coach team based on how he described it in the spring that they don't do a whole lot of special teams periods, but uh, or at least early on or, or not in the spring. We have only seen the kickers in live reps one time in four practices. That was on Friday, and that was those five kicks that Vakos got and the four that Van Zell got. They brought him in here on scholarship. I said this about <laughs> anytime there's a specialist that Wisconsin is willing to offer scholarship to, that guy is going to get every opportunity. And Vakos has proven it. He did it at Ohio where he was an incredible kicker as a true freshman. So to me, that is his job. He's got the leg strength and the accuracy. And, um, you know, maybe uh, I would say the, the best kicker since Rafael Gaglianone is, was my expectation. Better than Vito. All right. All right, we'll, we'll see if that that plays out. Um, one more thing with uh, Friday's practice, Luke Fickle spoke afterwards, and he was asked about Jess, Jack Eschenbach, and he was asked asked about Clay Cundiff, and he said he didn't know until Monday that they weren't going to be with the team. That that seems very late to know whether those guys are going to be with you or not. I found it very strange. Um, not, I mean, I certainly believe luke it just seems like unusual timing i don't and we don't know the circumstances i know i mentioned on the, the last show i think i tried to reach out to clay haven't heard back we thought both those guys were going to be big parts of the offense but the way luke said it like they weren't even sure monday night exactly what the situation was until it became clear that neither were going to be a part of the team so i mean luke said something to the effect of we've got a couple options or something like that. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do here. You, you're kind of at this stage of the game, you got to go with who you have. And and we've seen the the three, really it's Riley Nokowski, Hayden Rucci and Jack Pugh. Those are the three that you would expect to be in the mix to get the most reps. But I think this is a pretty significant blow for, for the Badgers, um, especially with what I thought Cundiff was going to be able to do. But again, guy was coming off two consecutive years of season ending injuries. That's tough. Is there anything else you wanted to hit with practice? I think we pretty well covered it. All right. So let's get into your favorite topic, realignment. Big Ten expansion. Um, I know you were very excited to be able to write about it yesterday uh, after the news broke that Wisconsin or that, uh, that Wisconsin has a few new uh, members here in the Big Ten. 
with Washington and Oregon joining the conference. You wrote about it. You said you asked uh, how the the question essentially was how does it how does Wisconsin fit and uh, Luke Fickle hires the Luke Fickle hire should pay off. Why do you think? Um, why do you think that? Well, obviously, the goals that Chris McIntosh said were paramount when he made the coaching change was competing for championships. It's exactly what Luke Fickle has reiterated consistently. He said it again at Big Ten media days, and they're they're aiming high. And I think they've got the right coach to come in here at a time when we can all recognize the Big Ten, as it will look like in 2024, will never be more difficult or, or it'll be the hardest it's ever been, I suppose, to to try to compete for championships when you consider that you've still got all these other teams and the four that you're adding are Washington and Oregon. Both programs have been to a college football playoff appearance, which Wisconsin is not. USC's coming off a top 15 season under Lincoln Riley. UCLA had a nine-win season and was a top 25 team last season under Chip Kelly. So these are really good programs and Wisconsin's got to aim high. So I think they brought in a guy who understands what it takes to win a championship, did it at Cincinnati, which is really improbable. I mean, the only coach to take a group of five team to the college football playoff and Wisconsin has backed it with the the finances. I mean, they're, they're paying him $7.8 million a year on average over seven years. They're investing in a $285 million construction project here to, to upgrade the football practice facility, which is extremely important when you consider the arms race and, getting prospects and developing players. So I think Wisconsin is doing all the right things and they would have been well positioned for the future, even if these other programs hadn't come in. But that's why I feel like Wisconsin and Chris McIntosh said this when I was talking to him in the spring, this was before Oregon and Washington, but we already knew USC and UCLA were going to come in that he feels like Wisconsin is as well positioned as it it could possibly be at this point to compete for championships moving forward. I'm not saying they're going to win championships, but I think they've made the right moves. And now you look at it and maybe McIntosh was out in front of things ahead of the game to make these changes, to give Wisconsin a head start here. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to say, I mean, this is, does it make the hire look even better at this point? I, it does to me. And I think it's also a matter of looking at some of the changes that Luke has made and, and his willingness to, compete in every aspect. I mean, even the recruiting department, which we've talked about on multiple occasions over the last 10 months or so, but that is so important. And they've done a really good job early on in 2024. It's at at least at this point, it's a top 25 class. Wisconsin has a national reach. They have commits from 12 different states all the way from Hawaii to New York. So that's going to be really important to continually get those types of players. And I mean, I go back to something that happened this this to me was the ultimate indicator of Luke Fickle, the competitor. I think I've talked about this before, but I, I asked Luke that question going into the bowl game about, you know, like, do you have any concerns Wisconsin's going to be competitive in this game? Because with the Badgers just lost all three of their co-captains uh, who are, you know, leaving early to either pursue the NFL or transfer. I could see in his face uh how like basically he took offense to the question without saying I take offense to the question and that you know said how disrespectful it would be to the players to not think they would win and of course they went out and won the game and I just think when you have a coach like that who knows what it takes to win who's extremely competitive who's willing to make changes those are all that, that's a recipe for success for the future college football though I know you I know you wanted to it's a yeah. big L it's a big L you think so sorry I I, I just it's hard for me to care about this. It, it, not not that 
I mean, look, I, I do this for a living. I'm going to be covering it and writing about it extensively. But if you're from the Midwest, the Rose Bowl, if you're a Wisconsin fan, the Rose Bowl was a big deal. Playing those teams was a, a really big deal. And now they're four Pac-12 teams are in your conference. The Pac-12 is disintegrating. You have two super conferences. You're going to have to go back to divisions, I think. I mean, I, and for all the, this discussion about moving away from these divisions, now that you have 18 teams, you have to do it. And I just always felt college football was about these geographic rivalries and, and playing certain opponents. And while Wisconsin playing Minnesota and Iowa isn't going to go away, it's hard to, to just embrace this for me. And maybe it's just going to take a few years, but like, did anyone ever embrace Rutgers and Maryland coming to the big 10? I mean, I get that it's all about money, but like, which of those matchups ever made you excited? Um, the difference is the teams coming in are way better, but it's just, it's, it's just hard to think that this is good for college football. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the large scope of college football, is it good for the game of college football that you're eliminating a, a lot of things? Probably not. Is it bad for Wisconsin? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> is it good for Wisconsin? I mean, I, that can be debated. I think it kind of is. I mean, I honestly, I'd rather see Wisconsin play Washington and Oregon than play Indiana or play Rutgers or play Maryland or play. Yeah, I mean, there's a few other teams that I would rather see them play on a regular basis. Now, is that going to happen? No. But again, I I think everyone talking about the doom and gloom of college football like this is totally going to ruin the sport. is just ridiculous. You're going to continue to watch it. There's going to be better matchups. Um, it's just you're not going to have the local regional stuff are people still going to be upset like i mean at each like the big thing about rivalries is like you're so close to each other you play each other every year you get to dislike those people and and the fans and that type of stuff and people don't think that could happen i disagree i think that can certainly happen uh even with it being thousands of miles you know thousands of miles away some of these teams being so um if you're a Washington State fan or an Oregon State fan or a Stanford fan or a Cal fan, yeah, this sucks. It sucks. It sucks hard, and it's going to be really hard for you to continue to love you know, college football just the way it is, but we don't cover them. I've never cheered for them. I don't care. Um, so uh, I don't think this is – I don't think this is going to be the end of college football as we know it. Um, no, not going to watch. People are still going to watch. People are still going to pay attention. People are still going to care about it because – it still says Wisconsin. I mean, it still says Wisconsin up on the board. It still says Michigan. Still says Ohio State. Still says USC. Like the teams are what matter, even though necessarily you're not, you're not going to be playing those same teams every year. As long as games are being played, and you are a fan of a program, you're still going to watch. You're still going to go. It's part of a ritual. I mean, I, I understand all of that. It's just a strange world to be living in, where you've moved to these essentially two super conferences where. Washington and Rutgers are in the same conference. It's completely insane. And so, I mean, maybe it's just a matter of accepting the fact that what used to matter doesn't matter anymore in terms of geography, because what matters is money and saving your skin and being the first school out of the conference to make sure that you're solidified from the perspective of Wisconsin. I think it's a good thing because it only strengthens the league, the amount of money you're going to be able to make, that being in one of these super conferences you are safe. Um, you don't have to worry about a mass exodus like the Pac-12, which was mismanaged for a dozen years. Uh, you're you're in good shape financially and, and from a viability standpoint. Just from a 
a rivalry in what college football used to be. It's gone, but I'll just have to get used to it. You just have to get used to it. And look, Washington State and Oregon State, if they could have come to the Big Ten, they would have jumped at it in a second. They didn't bring anything to the table. Like I, I that that's the problem, right? Like, but um, yeah, we'll see. Um still college football. I, I'm more interested to see like, you know, the college basketball is gonna be crazy. Um, and how that all how that's all gonna look. The only people I truly, truly, truly feel bad for is the athletes of the Olympic sports and you know, multiple games per week and having to go cross country and that type of stuff. That sucks. Um, that's tough. But football is also what is helping them be able to play at this at uh, the college level too. The money that is is brought in because we know what the revenue sports are. So I guess that's the the give and take with it. But I I do feel bad for them. I do feel bad for them. Everybody else, no. Let's play football. All right, we'll be back uh, on Tuesday to break down what we see the next two days. Until then, thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right, you've been listening to The Camp.